Hey, this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Good to be here again today. I, uh, I, I just look around. I see God's love and faithfulness in your life, and I, I'm hoping that today will be a very encouraging word for you. Uh, we're, we're looking at something that's not easy to talk about. We're looking at money and, and greed. You've heard some of the scriptures so far that we've we've looked at. Uh, some of them are pretty heavy. It's like, hey, enjoy it while you can now, because some bad stuff's about to happen to you, right? It's not going to last forever. Uh, and some of us may be on the uh, the, the richer side of the world where we have more uh, advantages or resources and capital than other people do. And you may find yourself on the other side of the coin, literally, where you don't have many coins at all because the, you know, because Bitcoin really tanked. You lost it all. <laughs> so uh, if you're that's where you are, there's hope for you today because there is uh, something to look at, temporary comfort versus eternal treasure. No matter whether you have resources or not, that's not the point of what God is teaching us in this. It's not about how much money you have. It's about whether or not your money has you. There's a difference. You know, money is a cruel master. You, you, you think that it's great. If I had more money, it would solve all of my problems. Well, it would solve a lot of problems. It really would if you had more money. But it doesn't solve all of them. And money is a cruel master. Have any of you heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment? Yes. All right. You know where I'm going with this. A lot of you haven't. Okay. So the Stanford Marshmallow Incident, or incident. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was big. Um, and so the experiment, this was where it was a study done on delayed gratification. So a psychologist in 1972 named Walter Mischko was a professor at Stanford, and he offered a child a small but immediate reward. And if the child waited, he would give them double that reward. And so he left for about 15 minutes, and if the child was able to wait, he came back after 15 minutes and would give them more marshmallows. So it, it showed that, actually it was a marshmallow or a pretzel stick, so that, that was a thing, so that, just to be clear here. Uh, and so in follow-up studies, they found that those, so they kept track of those kids. In follow-up studies, they found that those kids who did wait had better outcomes in their life. For example, they had um, higher SAT scores. They had higher educational attainment. And check this out. Some of us may be really interested in this because I am too. They had better body mass index. All right? So that's where discipline comes in, I guess, and other life measures. Well, you might not know this, but there was a study done in 2020 because COVID hit and there was nothing else to do. Um, They did something and kind of followed up on this study and they found out that they expanded the, the sample to 10 times high, more kids with a more diverse background. And what they found out was the gap from waiting to those rewards that happened was cut in half. So it still increased. They still saw that it increased, but it didn't increase as substantially as they thought because they were able to factor in economic background 
and other issues uh, that they had, uh, which meant you know how much wealth the, the parents had, I guess. Uh, and they were able to add some more to it. So the point is, we as a people are collectively still learning, right? We can take sample sizes and we can learn great things from studies, but that evolves. However, that principle was still there. Whether or not we give it 100% or 50% with a new study, the principle was still there that if we learn to wait for things, God will give us more. That's a principle God's talking about now. And so many times we as people, if we're, we'll be like those children that we want it all and we want it now. And we may not even just want it all. We just want to have what we think would be deserving for our lives. And we want it now. And if we're not careful, that pursuit of that desire, the desired outcome, will lead us to sacrifice our now and we're going to miss out on later. We can seek this temporary comfort. And at best, if you're the richest person in the world, if you're Jeffrey Bezos, all right, and you've got more money or Tesla, whichever one it is, whoever has the most right now, I can't think of his name. That's his name. That's actually kind of funny for later. I can't think of his name because we're going to get into a parable where, well, that'll make sense. Remind me of that later. And so we can have everything the world has to offer now. But guess what? The, the outcome for every person living today is that we are eventually going to die. And those things will not transfer with us. They'll transfer to someone else. So, with that in mind, I want to just give us a quick um, understanding about the, the temporary temptation of now versus the eternal promises that God has for us, both now and later. His promises are not just for later, by the way. They're also for now as well, but it redefines how we shape them. Here's some lies that we can look at in... Um, that wealth will tell us. And you can write these down if you want to. But the first lie I thought of, and there's a lot of lies that wealth tells us, but the first one is this, that riches define who I am. These are lies that the world believes about wealth. Riches define who I am. If I have more money, then that elevates me, and it defines who I am. That's who I am. Uh, Tim Keller had a great quote. He's always worth quoting. Uh, I just have to read it to you. I don't have it in the slides. But he said, uh, we're going to look at the parable of the rich man, all right, and Lazarus. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But he says, In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man in hell has no name because that is all that he was, just a rich man. If you make wealth your very identity and something takes away the money, there is no you left. I'm like, whoa, I never even thought of that. But a rich man, and then Lazarus was aptly named, and the reason is because the identity was built into his riches which is maybe why I prophetically couldn't remember the guy's name from Tesla. Elon Musk. Eli, Elon Musk, right. Not Eli. Not to be confused with Eli. Uh, Elon Musk. So, um, but a rich man uh, can define who you are. Number two, <clears throat> lies we believe about wealth. Riches bring me safety and security. Safety and security. Now, obviously, they can bring some safety and security. You can move out to an isolated island and nobody can get to you. You can build all the defense system you want because you got all the money in the want and nobody can touch you. However, ultimately the safety and security comes only from God. There's the parable that we won't talk about uh, the, of the rich man who builds everything up and, and he dies the next night. And God's like, you foolish, foolish man. You've stored all this up for yourself and you're going to die. Lies that wealth tells us that brings me safety and security. And the last one that I thought of in any way today was that riches elevate my status. 
not only can it identify you and bring you safety and security, it, it lies to you, but it also lies to you and tells you that you're better than other people around you. And that's, that's what I mean by elevate your status. And this is really easy for us to do as a culture to where we finally arrive and done something and we would, I know none of you would ever do this. I wouldn't do this either. I would never look around and say, I am a much better person than that is. Because I've, I've read the scriptures, and I know the, the Pharisee who tithed said, thank you, God, that I tithe and do all these things, and I'm not like this poor wretched sinner over here. I've read that. I get it. I would never boastfully, pridefully, intentionally do that. However, I do think I'm a better driver than most people. And when I'm on the road, I elevate my status in my heart. And I get frustrated if I'm not careful and I start to identify them as lower tier than me. And I can lack mercy in my heart. So there's all kinds of ways that, that lies can cause us to feel superior to people. And you shouldn't feel superior or inferior to other people. God's created us in His image. Riches tell us that we elevate our status and we can finally arrive and become better than others. So who's Jesus talking to? We're going to talk about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus is talking, it's, it's really important when he teaches parables to know who the audience is. You don't want to read somebody else's mail, so to speak. So you can't, it, Scripture can't mean now what it didn't mean then. So you have to do the homework and find sources to help you figure out who is Jesus talking to. And so Jesus was talking to uh, the Pharisees. And in Luke chapter 16, we see here, where he says uh, to the Pharisees, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. So it's pretty clear, Luke 16, who he was talking to. And it said, who loved money. So one of the things that he's about to, when he gets to this parable of the rich man, is he's talking about their, their love for money, their appeal to this. This is a way to status. They, very much then and very much now, it's very easy for us to think those who have more means that they're more favored by God and they've been given more because they're better, all right? And we deserve more because we are more righteous. So they loved money. They heard all of what Jesus was saying. They were sneering at him. And he said to them, you Pharisees are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So Jesus was quite a controversial figure. He was saying, everything that you're elevating and you desire is wrong. And not just wrong, it's detestable. You remember back in the campaign, Hillary and Trump and the deplorables came out, that word came out in the campaign? That was insulting, right? Jesus says the detestables, you're detestable. What you're doing is it's detestable, what you're doing in God's sight. And so it was insulting. He wasn't doing it just to, to sneer, cause them to sneer. He was exposing an, an hypocrisy that they had. Like you are detestable to God because you are only valuing what others see. And what others, you're only valuing what others value. And you're wanting to be raised in their sight. And as we see so often throughout history, what we value as people is going to change so much. Like right now we can go around the world and what is valuable in that culture changes. What valuable in America from 2022 back to 2010 even has changed. There are values that continue to evolve. What doesn't evolve is what matters to God. What is highly valuable in God's 
eyes. And so now we get to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So let's read this. This is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's a good chunk here, but we're going to enjoy it and dive in. Here we go. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And I think all of us would say, that sounds pretty nice, right? I would like that. I could, I could do that. I think I could be humble. Hmm. All right, here we go. At his gate, though, was a, laid a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up, this is the rich man, and he saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus was by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He then answered, I beg you, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. If you can't send him to me, at least send him to my family because he's here. They're still there. It's not too late for them. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them. Let Lazarus warn them and tell them what's going on here so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he says to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. It's a heavy verse, right? Or a parable. It's a heavy scripture where it seems like, uh oh, the rich man made a heavy mistake and he's going to have eternity to pay for it. Uh, a lot of things we can read into parables. Um, some people will look at this and they'll talk about uh, how this is a very clear indication of an eternal place of torment of hell and fire. Uh, there are others who look at this and say that's not the point Jesus was making. Jesus was making a point about the hypocrisy. Of, of living a life where you're consumed with the things of the world at the expense of the things that really matter for eternity. Uh, I'm probably somewhere in the middle of that. I do believe that there is a hell for those who reject God and where God's wrath is, but I'm not quite convinced that this is exactly what this is, parable is, take, uh, is teaching. I think there are plenty of verses where we can look to that and have a great, uh, a great se- uh, a conversation about what does and does not happen in the afterlife. That being said... God is, is being very clear here to expose that it's very easy for we as people to have a, a hypocritical view of what life is all about. And what life is about is, is not the temporary comfort that we can have for ourselves, but what are we going to do with this eternal life that God's given to us now and invest in eternal things now 
and not just try to wait until later. There was a rich man in the, the, the joyous splendor. That's how it said that in that verse. He was dressing his fine linen in joyous splendor. The, the joyous splendor of temporary comforts pales in comparison to the, the joyous splendor of being in the presence of God. There's, Jesus was doing something new in this day, and it was very difficult for them to understand. And I'll be honest, I think it's very difficult for us to understand too. Even though we're looking back over the course of history and we have the Scripture there to, to remind us and to teach to us and for us to hold on to that, that Jesus died and rose again, it's still an audacious story to believe that there was a God who became man and walked the earth and died and didn't just die, but He died a crucifixion in order for our sins to be, saved, to be forgiven and then, then rose from the dead in a way never done before, by the way. That's one of the best proofs of the, of the resurrection is that it didn't make sense and they were describing something that hadn't been done before. This parable, actually, there are some things in the first century from other pagan religions that have this same principle and it appears like Jesus took that and He gospelized it. He inserted Himself into it to make it a teaching point for them to understand. It's just not an easy thing for us to understand. But the truth of the matter is that there, was a, there is a God who was crucified, who died, who was buried, and He rose from the dead, and now He not only rose from the dead, but He reigns forever. And so there's this heaven that God has created that we have access to, and that heaven is trying to break into the earth now. And it's really hard when we don't I find myself not wanting heaven. I want my joyous splendor now. But I only want that because I can't fully see what God has. What I need to understand and what I need in my life and what we all need is for God to just remove those distractions. Not remove people, not remove circumstances, but give us spiritual eyes to be able to see what is it, God, that you're doing. It was very clear that this, this group of people spent their time, their pursuits, in trying to justify themselves. Do you remember that from... I'll just show you right here. He said, you are the ones, that you Pharisees are trying to justify yourselves in the eyes of others. And so if we're not careful, we will want to justify ourselves in the eyes of others. And as Christians, sometimes we may want to justify... Oh, hold on, this is going to be good. We may want to justify ourselves in the eyes of God. But do you see how I can never do that? I cannot justify myself even in the eyes of God. I need someone to justify me. And that's where Christ comes in. I can only be justified by Christ. So anytime I'm trying to do it myself, to earn myself, anytime I want to be like this in Luke chapter 10, this is the, the good Samaritan, who's my neighbor? He says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor then? <laughs> didn't see that question coming, didn't you? He's trying to justify, he's trying to trap Christ. And that's not going to work. We easily try to justify ourselves. And it's not just money that does it. Money definitely is a way that we can try to justify ourselves. We can also try to do it through fame. Maybe you don't want to be like Lady Gaga famous, but you want to have people know you and recognize you. And you want to, to prove yourself like, hey, people know and they recognize the good work that I've done. Maybe you want to justify yourself with a family. 
I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want my kids to do good things and that way people will know that I'm a good person. It does feel good as a parent when people say, your kids are awesome. That feels good. And if you're not careful, that can become ways to justify yourself. And every person, whether you have a family like that or not, can be tempted to justify yourself by good deeds. I did good this week. I fed the poor. I wasn't like the rich man. I was the one who was helping Lazarus out. He didn't have to get scraps from, that fell from my table. I fed the, fed the good people. Now God loves me. Now I'm good in the eyes of God. And what you've done now is you've become a Pharisee, justifying yourself. So here's the good news, though. The good news is that Jesus is the only one who will judge. Jesus is the only one who will justify. And He is the only one who will eventually repay for all the good and bad that has been done. He will repay according to these. In fact, Revelation uh, 2.23 talks about this. Uh, it says, I will strike our children dead, which is, is great, right? This sounds wonderful. This is a great way to start this. All right. So this is in some of the, <laughs> the letters that Jesus said. Um, I probably should have brought some context to this, but let's just move forward. Just forget this part here for a minute. Uh, don't forget it. Don't take it out of your Bibles. <laughs> but, but anyway, but then after Jesus does this big thing and reveals this judgment, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. The point I'm making in this verse is this. Jesus is making a point, and he's saying one day it, it's going to become evidently clear when judgment finally comes. All the evil powers of the world are going to be exposed because the evil powers of the world are powerless. It's a false presentation. There's a limited power that they have, but there is one who speaks and creates things from nothing. There is one who says, I must do this. And he goes to the cross and he dies. He says, but don't worry, I'll be back. <coughs> There's one who, in the midst of people mourning his death, three days later, comes back from the grave and says, I'm here and I'm never going to die again. And for all those who believe in me, this is what's true for you. That's what true power is. And they'll be exposed. And there is only one who will repay that. And Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 6, he says, Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe, he was talking about how they had to endure a lot of bad things. They, they were, you're being treated the way the prophets were being treated, but the reward in heaven is great. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Jesus is not condemning money. He's condemning when your master is money. He's not condemning those who are well fed. Otherwise, we should start fasting all the time, right? And just not eat. Uh, fasting is fine, by the way. But you don't deny yourself food so you can fit into this verse. He's saying you're well fed at the expense of the hungry. Those who laugh now at the expense of those who weak weep. Those things will be exposed. The good news that we have today is that Jesus had the ultimate temptation to take the temporary comforts of today, His day, and He had every right to do it, didn't He? He's the Creator. 
He's the king of kings. He had every right to just take it on and just say, I want it all and I want it now. But he knew something that we couldn't know at the time. That there was something greater. He could have had his one marshmallow, but he was like, nah, we're going to get limitless marshmallows. He could have had his prize now, but he was going to wait. He was going to follow the Lord. He chose the greater reward to come. And that greater reward was not just a life that people would remember for a while and say, that guy did it right. I want to be like him. He had a life that was much greater. And because of his faithfulness, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and now his reign in heaven, when we call on his name, what Jesus has for the rest of his life is a world that's going to sing the praises of Jesus forever and ever. That is so much better than anything he could have gotten. And because of his faithfulness, now you have that same promise. Now when we get to heaven, we're not going to be proclaiming Austin's name forever and ever, or Bobby's, or Kaylee's, or anyone else. We're going to be proclaiming Jesus' name. But guess what? We're going to be inheriting with Christ all the glories of his faithfulness. Now that's a treasure that I want forever. And so today God is saying, I'm not asking you to when I say pick up your cross and follow me daily, I'm not saying I want you to get up on the cross and have yourself nailed there and crucified. But I want you to pick it up and I want you to sacrifice your life. Don't be distracted by the temporary things. Receive God's blessings, but remember to keep your eyes on Christ. Everything that He's given you, He's given to you for purpose. Responsibility, stewardship, all these things. And now, once we are in Christ and we have Him and He's our treasure in, full, in fullness, at that point, once He's our Savior, now He can be your example. I'm going to follow the example of my Savior. But don't just follow Jesus as an example or a good teacher. He's got to be your Savior first. He's got to justify you. Call on the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, the only reason I have a chance to be justified is because of your mercy, your grace, your goodness, your faithfulness. And if you'll do that, you'll have the eternal treasure. And that eternal treasure will bring you comfort Instead of a temporary comfort of now, you'll have an eternal comfort. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we want to bless you and thank you. You are King and kings and Lord of lords. We want to thank you for your mercy, your goodness, your glory. Uh, we proclaim that you are who you proclaimed to be. That you are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. So Lord, we bless you. We ask that you would help us to find our, our comfort in you, our treasure in you so that we would be faithful as your followers here. Lord, I pray your blessing over each one of us. And Lord, I even pray that you would bless each of us financially, that you would bless us with strong health, that you would bless our children, that you would chase after them the way you chase after us, that you would help us to find healing in our spirit, in our emotions, in our bodies, that we would have a full shalom around our life in and through. Lord, you are beyond our capacity to understand in your goodness, in your kindness. So Lord, I pray that we would just wake up on a daily basis and receive the promises that you've given to us and throughout the day continue to point and lead our hearts to worship you and remind ourselves of who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.